Okay, good morning, everyone. Right, before we get to the actual message, there's another message. Uh, like Chris was outlining at the beginning, and keep looking at the website. If we're going to update things there, we'll, we'll put information there. It just struck me during the week that, as I said in the email, my reason for washing my hands for 20 seconds takes ages, doesn't it? It's a long time. I probably should do that all the time, but I don't. Um, the reason for doing that is to love my neighbor. It's not about necessarily protecting myself. If I feel that I'm needing to protect myself, I might wash my hands or I might not. But I want to love my neighbor, so I'm going to wash my hands more often than I normally do and for a decent length of time. And I want to encourage us as a community to think in those terms, loving our, our neighbor. Loving our neighbor means that some of us might be feeling a bit inconvenienced, some of us might be thinking to ourselves, do you know what I could do with a few days to myself? I've been really busy. And whilst some of us are thinking and feeling those sorts of things, some of us are thinking, I've got elderly relatives. Or I've got an underlying health problem. Or someone I care about massively has a significant health problem. So the way in which we're going to love our neighbor is is really lovingly being careful with what we say. Sometimes what happens when there's like a really serious crisis developing, the mood deepens or darkens, if you like, and some of us try and lighten the moment, break, break the silence or the awkwardness with a funny comment. We, we can still smile, we can be friends, we can laugh. But let's just make sure that we're not making light of what for some people is a, a massive crisis, we're, we're loving one another. We're, I'm not just thinking about my hands, I'm thinking about somebody else. I'm not just thinking about my week, I'm thinking about somebody else. I'm thinking about my neighbor who sat next to me right now, so to speak, and I'm thinking about my neighbor who didn't come to the meeting today, because they already might be thinking, I'm not quite sure it's a great idea. Well, we're loving them. We, we want to love the people who aren't in the room. Uh, we want to love our neighbors. Uh, the believing neighbors we have as part of this church and the and, and neighbors who are living, living close to us. That, that's what this is about. And uh, I just want to talk to you right now. If you're listening to this and you didn't come today, you might be having to isolate yourselves. I want you to hear me. If you're, it might be right now for you. It might be Monday afternoon. It might be Tuesday morning. It might be Thursday evening. Well, we're going to pray for you right now. I want you to hear that we love you, that we care about you, and that we're praying for you. Now, we had the privilege this morning on Sunday of meeting together, being built up as we've worshipped and heard lots, heard lots of different encouragements in the room. And we're going to pray for you to know the Spirit of God where you are at home. Now, there'll be lots of practical things for us to bear in mind, but let's just believe, let's believe God is faithful to the person who's in their room by themselves. If John on the island of Patmos could say, on the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and he was by himself, I believe that you can know God when you're by yourself. Now we're going to try and connect with you in a variety of ways, but know that God is with you, and that God cares about you. Heavenly Father, I pray for the people who are listening right now, whatever time it might be, whatever day of the week it might be, 
Thank you for your love for them. Thank you for your concern for them. And we pray, Lord God, for their blessing and their strengthening. Strengthen them in their inner being to know the peace of God that transcends understanding. And bless them in their physical bodies if they are weak, or if they are ill, or if they are worried. I pray, Lord God, that they would know you right now, drawing close to them, encouraging them as part of this family. You are a part of this family, whether you're with us today or not. You matter to God, and we love you very much. Let's stay in touch. Amen? Amen. We're going to look together uh, for a little while at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the whole of the chapter, uh, which I'll read out in just a moment. Uh, as we go through the message, it will become clear what I have in the red bag and the reason for the pole behind me. We have a few props to help us. So reading 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy, But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings. And would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak. But you are strong. You're held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you, as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. As I teach them everywhere in every church, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I'll find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, 
but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Paul has been writing to this church in Corinth to address and to help to correct some fairly major issues, some major problems of of disunity, of arguments and quarrels. Those tend to be about, uh, about leaders, some boasting in the leader that they follow or prefer, and in effect then putting others down, other leaders down or other people down. Uh, so it's, it's a, a yucky mix. There's, there's division. You've got one church, but they're fractured in all sorts of directions and against each other. It's messy. It's yuck. So he's not just picking on kind of minor, minor issues to, you know, to, uh, little tips or suggestions to tweak how they behave, just here or there. He's going right to the very core of who they are, right to the very core of the faith that we have in Jesus. And so he's writing them at reasonable length to try to help them to, to get the point. He's saying he wants them to have a real godly unity that glorifies Jesus. And he's, in effect, in the letter so far, gone through a journey of explaining, if, if we're going to be a church, if you're going to be a church for the Corinthians, or if we consider it for ourselves, if we're to be a church that is really godly in its unity, it will be because, first of all, we have a right understanding of the cross. And in uh, uh, chapter 1, Verse 22, Paul wrote this, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's where he started. He started at the cross. He started with Jesus. He started right there to try and uh, address and correct their thinking. He goes on to talk about the Spirit of God. Uh, in chapter 2, for example, in verse 12, he'll write, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So if we're going to get underneath the problem, of disunity in Corinth. If we're going to understand who we are as a people, first we're going to have to understand the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I I determined to know nothing apart from Christ and him crucified. Let's not drift from that. And he's picking up, that's what they've done. We're not going to be a united church either if we don't understand the, the role of the Holy Spirit and all that he does in revealing truth to us. Even Paul in this chapter is asking the question, what do you have that you did not receive? Why are you boasting? As a revelation started in you. It's by work of the Holy Spirit. It's by him making it clear. God's always been in the habit of bringing good things out of bad, of breaking into a messy world. He's been doing it for thousands of years. He can do it right now. That's what he's doing right now. So Paul looks there. He looks at the cross. He reminds us of the the, the work of the Holy Spirit. Moves into chapter 3. 
And he's helping us to understand the church. What is the church? Well, he described it as we've seen in three different images. The church is God's field where God gives the growth. Different people have lots of different tasks and responsibilities that God has assigned, but it's God the Father bringing life and bringing growth. Remember that. And he goes on to talk about the church being God's building, God's house. Paul describes himself as one who has laid the foundation of that house. That foundation is Jesus Christ. And what we're doing, all of us, we're we're all called to, is build carefully. Build with materials that are going to last. Don't build church life, don't build your life on arguments and quarrels and disunity and pride. Because none of those things are going to last forever. We're going to build with things that are going to last forever. Let's build with holiness. Let's build with faith. Let's build with love. Why? They'll be around for eternity. Looking even more glorious. So we're God's building. And then we're God's temple. The temple of the Holy Spirit. Can you see, even in talking about the church, he's spoken about God giving growth the foundation that is Jesus, the Son, and us being a temple of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. With that profound encouragement, he's, he's amongst us. He's here. He's with us. He makes himself known in a people that believe in Jesus. The sovereign and supernatural almighty for whom nothing is impossible is with us and in us. Wow. So encouraging and so terrifying. For Paul to be writing, God still takes people out for destroying his work. And bless Anna reminded us the example of Ananias and Sapphira. Peter says to them, you lied to the Holy Spirit. We did what? No, we weren't. No, you lied to the Holy Spirit. You're doing damage to God's church. Don't Don't destroy God's work. It's not popular to talk about. But who are we to say that doesn't happen today? Where Christian leaders or individuals have have been, maybe inadvertently, I don't know, damaging God's church. And God has thought, I'm going to take you home early. I'm taking you out of the world. I'm bringing you into glory early so that you can't do any more damage to my church on the earth. Ouch. That's quite profound, isn't it? So we can't be the church that God intends us to be without understanding, having a right understanding of the cross, the Holy Spirit, or the church. And now in this chapter, we can't be godly, united church as God would have us be without understanding spiritual leadership. This is how one should regard us, Paul writes. Because us, Paul and Apollos, Peter as well, as who they were arguing about and who they were either elevating and celebrating or who they were wanting to do away with or just look down upon. So we're going to consider how do we regard spiritual leadership? It's personal for Paul. It's almost like, how do you regard us? This is how you should regard us. We can take a broader step and just think, how should we consider leaders? Now, I have an analogy with the help of um, 
the Mr. Men. Uh, do, do you have a favorite Mr. Man? I see that hand. Do you want to shout out? What's, who's your favorite? Mr. Tickle. Wow. I'd be wary personally, but okay, Mr. Tickle. I, I know the story where with his long arm, he can reach down and get to the cookie jar. Is that, is that what appeals about Mr. Tickle? Getting a warm noddy. Uh, there's also Mr. Strong. Apparently, it's not very trendy to be square, but Mr. Strong is big and red and square. That's, uh, Mr. Strong, he, he's probably the image that the Corinthians would like Paul to be. We, we want a guy who looks strong, who looks powerful and robust, like you can't just knock him over. I was known in the playground at school when I was younger as Mr. Bump. Uh, because it was always me who was tripping over and uh, grazing something or bumping something. So, uh, so one of the teachers on playground duty started to refer to me as Mr. Bump. Uh, any other favorites? Messy. Mr. Messy. Okay. Little, little Miss Giggles. Okay, because there's a whole raft of little misses as well, aren't there? I can't leave those out. Little Miss Sunshine. I see those hands. Favorite Mr. Men or Miss Little Misses? Mr. Rush. Okay, did you want to say one as well? Mr. Mr. Greedy, because he gets two plates, two helpings. Little Miss Helpful, who ironically is not very helpful. Uh, no one yet, can anyone remember Mr. Topsy-Turvy? Yeah? No, none of you have mentioned Mr. Topsy-Turvy yet. Mr. Topsy-Turvy is actually a bit kind of greeny-brown, isn't he? He's not even an appealing colour. And he's got his hat on, but it's upside down. And he's carrying a walking stick, but it's the wrong way round. And so you, you look at the image, you open the page, and you, you just, if you're like me, and you don't really like Mr. Messy, then you just want to rearrange it all. So everything's the wrong way round. I think when the Corinthians looked at Paul, they just thought, you're the wrong way round somehow. If you're supposed to be this great apostle to the Gentiles, then why aren't you more impressive? Why don't you look stronger? Why don't you have better stories to tell? Now, we might think, well, he had some amazing experiences. But you read this chapter, and it clearly wasn't all glorious, was it? Just, well, if, if we're following you. So, the, to them, perhaps, Paul is just Mr. Topsy-Turvy. It's all, he's all the wrong way round, and they want to pick him up and turn him around the other way. They want... They want this leader that they can really admire, look up to. And uh, they follow in his footsteps because he's so clearly strong. Or, um, yeah, it's, it's said, isn't it, elsewhere? He's, you, some would say, you know, well, his letters are weighty and impressive, but in person, I mean, have you heard him? Obviously, none of us have, have we? I heard someone say that in conversation earlier this year. Uh, someone was just describing a Christian leader, a Christian, maybe a Christian author, and said, well, actually, his writing is amazing. But in person, he doesn't actually sound all that great. A bit like, I said, a bit like the Apostle Paul then. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> great letters, but in person, not that appealing, not that impressive. How do we consider leaders? 
And ha, this is the challenge for Paul. They think he's the wrong way around, but he's trying to correct them. That's the challenge that he has. How am I going to bring this letter? It takes a while. It's a long letter. How am I going to bring this correction lovingly in a way they're going to receive when they don't think very highly of me? That is a challenge. So actually, as we'll see, it's, it's the church in Corinth that's topsy-turvy. It's not, it's not Paul. We can sometimes have similar ideas, dare I say it. We can carry, in our way of thinking, an idea of leadership, which is more to do with the world than it is to do with the kingdom, that whenever we think of an organization... And therefore, whenever we might think of a church, just have it in that bracket, we have in our heads a pyramid with a broad, flat base building up, going up and up and up. But as it goes up, obviously it narrows because it's a triangle. It's going to reach a point at the top. And we can think to ourselves, well, what's my part to play? I haven't been around for very long. Uh, I guess I'm one of those ordinary bods who's just at the bottom. And maybe if I stick around for a while, I might move up a level because I, I could become a leader. It's interesting, the word leader, you don't see that much in the New Testament. You see other words like apostle and prophet and pastor and teacher and evangelist and elder and deacon. We use the word leader. The Bible doesn't use it so much. Anyway, we think we'll, we'll move up, we'll work our way up the ladder. And for most of us, at some point, it, it appears that there's just this ring of cloud because we can't. What happens at the top? We don't know. We've never been that high. But right up at the top, there's a penthouse. Actually, it is. It's just up there. But there's this little penthouse. <laughs> there's this little penthouse suite. And, and, and that's where the, the chief executive hangs out. And, and he gets to command the rest of the. The pyramid. Uh, and so I think it's because the, the, the Corinthians may have that sort of thing in mind that Paul confounds them. Because Paul doesn't look like that guy who's just at the top of the pyramid. Paul, when writing about the church, will say some wonderful things, but just, just note this. When he talks about the church in Ephesians chapter 2, and verse 19, so then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, note this, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So it's not lots of us making up the foundation. Now we the metaphors change slightly. Jesus is the foundation here in that verse. Jesus is the cornerstone, still making the same point. He's the one upon which everything is based, upon which everything is built. But the foundation of the apostles and prophets, that's lower down. We are built on that. Do you see, it's totally the other way around. That's why Paul can write about his sufferings and then say, uh, in conclusion elsewhere, this is in 2 Corinthians, and daily I feel the weight. I feel the pressure of my concern for the churches. Where is Paul? Is he right at the top? Or is he right at the bottom? What's your understanding of spiritual leadership? Oh, I long to be at the top one day. I seek to serve because I'm going to be right at the bottom. 
but I can support others and help them to serve God right across the world. Now we see that unfold with four, could argue more or less, but four ways in which Paul describes leaders. I better speed up. With the help of some props. How does Paul understand spiritual leadership? Well, he says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. Now the word there, I know he said something similar earlier on already. He said in, in, in chapter 3, verse 5, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as a Lord assigned to each his task. He uses uh, the, the same expression, servants of Christ, uh, right here. It, it means that his whole life is shaped by his devotion to Jesus. He is wanting to make Jesus known until the day that Jesus returns. Uh, the word servant is picking up like a, uh, an image uh, of a slave whose job was to row on like a massive ship. But there would be rows and rows, levels and levels of people with an oar, so this is why. Uh, this is a bit cobbled together. Prop number one. Okay. Paul is sat, as it were, as a servant, is sat at the lowest level of the ship, receiving his instructions from Jesus and rowing. Everything he does is in devotion to him. Everything, his whole posture, his whole demeanor, all the time. Rowing, what am I doing? Am I paddling? Oh, you could come, is that, <laughs> it's tricky. Okay, you, well just use your, if you have any knowledge of rowing or paddling, you might be aware that I'm not devoted to this activity. Um, but there you are. It's all... It's, he's, not, he's not at the top. But everything he does is in dedication to Jesus, following Jesus. Instructions, totally confident and knowing one day he's going to come again. And so, you kind of think for Paul, let me leave you somewhere. Uh, his whole life was organized around serving Jesus. Now, you might see the analogy and think, oh, that's, that's exhausting. There were times when Paul was exhausted. The point is not drive yourself into the ground, drive ourselves into the ground. The point is that everything I am and everything I do is to serve him. That's, that's what matters. He moves on. He uses a second uh, phrase. Regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Here's a servant or a slave who has significant responsibility in a house. His or her job is to make sure that everyone in the master's house uh, receives food and other things that they need at the right time. That's what they're doing. So that the, the slave, the steward, is serving people in the house, distributing food. Paul's point is, yeah, that's what I'm doing, or I'm serving. For him, it wasn't about distributing food. It's about the word of God. It's about the truth. It's about the gospel. So don't, don't go beyond what's written. Have this. This is what the word of God says. So he's, 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 received, he's been entrusted with something. He's been entrusted with something. 
revelation from the Spirit of the good news in Jesus, revealed through the old scriptures and the Spirit inspiring even what he wrote then as well. But he's distributing that to God's people. So I'm serving you. But I'm accountable to him. I'm serving you, but I have to give an account to him. He's my judge. It's God who's going to tell me how well I've done. It's not the church in Corinth. I'm serving. It's quite releasing. Clearly, he's taken some hits. They have, a, they've, they have been judging him. And he can genuinely say, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Ultimately, before God, the opinion of the Corinthian church about how well Paul had served them or not didn't matter. Didn't ultimately count. And Paul could even say of himself, my conscience is clear. I'm not aware of something that I've done wrong. But even that doesn't make me kind of innocent, but I, I'm not judging myself. You're not the judge, and I'm not the judge. He's the judge. He's the one. What does it says? Let's just turn to this, the verses. Do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. In society out there, could have thought, if we take God out of the equation, we'll become less judgmental. But actually, it's not the case at all. I wonder if our society now is more judgmental than ever. There's no higher authority to appeal to so, my opinion counts. My opinion is just as high as anybody else's. And the people in positions of authority, I don't massively highly regard them. So, so I am free to judge somebody else. And we might elevate some people in our thinking, and we might want to firmly squash other people down, as though we get to choose. No, it's before God that we stand or fall as his servants. He's the one that we're serving. And by knowing him as judge, actually Paul was released. I guess he wasn't immune from criticism. And maybe, Like any of us, we have to take criticism on board from, from time to time. But it, it didn't shape his identity. His identity was, I'm a servant of Jesus. I'm a steward of his mysteries. I'm serving God. It didn't destroy him when people thought he wasn't doing very well. And nor did he get caught up in a cycle of endless introspection. He was focused on serving Jesus. So he wasn't caught up with what do I think about myself or what do other people think about me. He was totally free from it. Well, maybe I'm exaggerating. It's hurt him. But it's not changing how he lives. I'm going to keep serving Jesus. And he's my judge. 
Again, scary thoughts, because he will one day uh, reveal things hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart or the motives. He will also give a commendation to each one. That he's a righteous and holy judge and will reward people who've served him. So Paul is released, he's released and free to serve, not carrying extra weight or baggage, and grateful. How else does he describe himself? Well, in a whole variety of terms, I'll pick out one. Uh, We have become and are still like the scum of the world the refuse of all things. He's already said, you know, I wonder sometimes, God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death. And as he writes this, he is being sarcastic towards the Corinthians. Oh, you're so rich. You're already reigning. That's their opinion of themselves. And he's trying to kind of jolt them back into a right way of thinking. They think that they've arrived, and therefore they look down on Paul and think, what's he up to? And Paul is trying to say, this is what the Christian life does look like, you know. We've we've become the scum of the earth. I've brought with me the scum of the kitchen. Sorry. Okay. Uh, An explanation. I hold in my left hand a bottle. It's almost a litre containing the washing up water from breakfast yesterday. I washed up after breakfast. I'll shake it in a moment. And, um, and here in my right hand is a dustpan and brush that I used to sweep the, the kitchen floor after breakfast. So is anybody thirsty? That is nice, isn't it? That is, that is scum, isn't it? That's just yuck. Uh, there's a few baked... Can you see them in the bottom? There's a few baked beans. I don't know where they came from. There's a Ferrero Rocher wrapper at the top. Um, there's all sorts of bits and yuck in there. Why? Because I have, I've wiped every surface. I've swept the floor. Normal life. That's just normal life, isn't it? I don't think I'm exposing the family. It's just normal life. You do it and you'll see. Okay? It's the scum. It's the stuff that's been scraped off and scoured off and cleaned off. That's, that's what Paul's talking about. We've become that. We've become the scum of the earth. What does it mean to be a spiritual leader in the kingdom of God? Loads of people will think you're scum. And you're to love them whilst they think you're scum. (laughs) Because you hold out a message which is highly offensive. Of sin and judgment and salvation only. Only in the name of Jesus. And however much you smile and make nice cups of tea, that's not appealing to everybody. But it is true. So Paul's saying... I I carry this desire 
that many be saved. And I'm trying to reach people and I'm trying to share the truth with people in a way that will win them. But I know that I can't do that and always be popular at the same time. I know I can't do that and always be liked. Hence, what he says, we are, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, you are strong. You're held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. And what gets me is onto the fourth description. The servants, the stewards, the scum. Paul also talks himself about having become their father. You've got many guides, many guardians. Paul is not dismissing them. Paul is not demeaning them. Maybe Paulus is one of them. There's lots of people who've helped you. There's lots of people who've served you. But I became your father because I came to your town and I shared the gospel with you. And you believed. So whether you like me loads or not, I've had this unique role in your life bringing you to faith and I can't stop caring about you even though you don't like me. I can't stop caring. So I'm appealing to you. The father, it's mixing, isn't it? Authority with affection. I love you. And I do have a responsibility to correct you. So he admonishes, he urges, he might even bring some discipline. But the thing that gets me and the thing that should get us, like father, like son, he says, imitate me. Imitate me. Oh, I just thought we were considering apostles today. I just thought we were considering that kind of other realm of spiritual leadership. That's got nothing to do with me. Uh, that's interesting. Thank you so much. But let's just move on to chapter 5. Um, he says, imitate me. This is, this is how I'm living. My life, with the awe, my life is all about serving Jesus. It's all about knowing him. It's all about glorifying him. My, I've organized my life. I've, I've worked out how to live. So he, Paul is not just saying, here's what to think, here's what to believe. Here's a few things. He's saying, this is a whole way of life. I'm teaching you a way of life. I'm teaching you how to know God, walk with him, and serve him, and know him, and glorify him. So be like me, because I'm being like Jesus. Being a Christian, being a believer, it's not just about believing a few things. So we can ask ourselves a question, who is more like Jesus, Paul 
or the Corinthians? We can answer that one. That's Paul. Next one's rhetorical. And who are we more like? Paul or the Corinthians? I'm just going to keep pondering and praying that. Not that we just jump into guilt. Oh, I don't do enough and I'm not homeless and I should be, you know, I, I should make sure that I'm not dressed as well because I should be imitating Paul. And Paul says that he's not very well dressed and he's hungry. Okay, I won't eat. Um, uh, no, it's, 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 it's not that kind of copycat imitation. It's, his life was totally about Jesus. Everything was about Jesus. Is my everything about Jesus? And perhaps what is happening right now in the whole world is God's means of taking a church that is a bit topsy-turvy and turning the church the other way up. It's, doing, it's going to do stuff to us. That will bless us, but will help us. It will change us. It might change practically how life is organized. It might change what I think my priority is on Monday morning. Who knows all the things it might affect. But I want to see what's happening right now in the world through a lens of faith that says God is at work and God always brings good things out of things that are rubbish and bad. So there is something good that God is doing right now for the sake of his gospel and for the sake of the world. Do you believe that or is it just in a total another zone? We're praying about the kingdom of God, but oh goodness, we've got to think about what's happening on the earth at the moment. That's uncomfortable. That gives us something to pray about, believing God for, that he's at work here in us. And if there is anything in our hearts or our lives that is topsy-turvy, God does want it to change around. Let's not hide from the fact that it might be us needing to learn, lest we be judgmental. The Bible says, doesn't it, humble yourselves. The Bible doesn't say humble somebody else. The Bible says humble yourself. It cuts through that judgmental attitude. Now he'll go on to say, you should have judged this situation. It's not the absence of any discernment, if you like. But it's just cutting through that human muck and yuck of just superior judgmental thinking. Back to a simple place of, Jesus, I really do want to follow you. I really do want to serve you. I've been going on a little bit long. Why don't we stand? We're going to sing in just a moment. I really do want to serve you, Lord. I really do want to honor you. Lord Jesus, you're the one from whom men hid their faces. You're the one we might people look upon and you're not esteemed. They saw no beauty or majesty in you. You were afflicted. But for our sake, Lord God, you were crushed for our sake. You were afflicted for our sake. The punishment that brought us peace with God.
went on him. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us draw near to Jesus. Help us to let go of any petty argument or judgmental attitude. We might be judging someone else. We might be too harshly judging ourselves. And it's just leading us into all sorts of tangle. Lord, your kingdom is better than that. Your kingdom releases us, Lord. Lord, have your way amongst us, Jesus. Have your way in our hearts, in our minds, what we know, what we think, what we believe. Lord, if there are things there that just need correction. Lord, by the Holy Spirit, we believe, help us to receive revelation from you. Lord, in our lives, in our priorities. If we're in danger of, of laziness or, or kind of burning out because we're trying to be everybody's saviour. Lord, we want to just throw all of that out. We want to follow you. We want to glorify you. Lord, we want to, we want to, want to serve you outside this building. We want to serve you on our streets and on our neighbor, in our neighbourhoods. We want to love our brothers and sisters who aren't with us in this room. We want to show the world what your love looks like as we do that. Lord, help us not retreat. Lord, you've been speaking to us about a church, as a church, about turning inside out. Lord, whatever may come after today, help us as a people, not just turn in. Protect myself. Just think about myself. Help us work out how we turn inside out at this time, at this season. Amen.